Hey, it's Sam Roberts. Thank you for checking out another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, there are ways that you can do it without spending a dime. If you're listening on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating. Did you know you can do that? You can. Leave us a five-star rating. If you're listening on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and type in a little nice review. Let the people know that you like the show. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and that you download each and every week. And while you're subscribing to stuff for free, check out our YouTube page, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling and subscribe there too. If you want to go the extra mile, you want to get some extra content for less than a dollar a week, you can become a Not Sam Shill at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. You'll get a bonus episode of Not Sam Wrestling every week as well as this show ad-free and early every week. You can get all kinds of other things like like watching the show recorded live, uh, hanging out with us on Zoom before pay-per-views, everything. Just go to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling and however you want to support the show, just enjoy it. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, after a big and newsworthy weekend, it would appear that the third summer of punk has officially begun. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. I hope everybody is having or had or whatever, if you're in the States, a great Memorial Day holiday. Uh, If you're not in the States, I hope you're enjoying what is the symbolic beginning of the summer. I hope there's some good weather. If you're in one of the countries where the winter is starting, like Australia, I can't even begin to wrap my head around what you're going through. But regardless, I hope it's a positive experience. I hope you're enjoying it uh, because there's a lot to take in. You know, we have to appreciate our surroundings as we try to take in everything that's going on in this wide, wide world of wrestling. After an entire show, I thought last week I had major professional wrestling walkouts covered until another walkout story hits this week. And I'll tell you, uh, we're, we're taping this podcast in the middle of the night on Sunday night, about, uh, an hour after AEW double or nothing has gone off the air and boy, oh boy, did that pay-per-view start with one story and end with another one. I was watching some of the media scrum. I watched the, uh, CM Punk, uh, Tony Khan media scrum Uh, just to see if any of the MJF stuff came up. It did not. All of you reporters are cowards. Uh, If you had anyone with some chutzpah, somebody like a last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, maybe the problem is you guys don't wear sheath underwear so your your cojones weren't packed into the right pocket. I don't know what it was, but I would have loved CM Punk's perspective on it. I mean, I guess... You're busy asking asking him about becoming the new AEW champion, and maybe that's important too. But so everybody was talking about it, man. Before twenty four hours before the pay per view is where it all started. I guess maybe thirty six hours because you know AEW is down there in Las Vegas all weekend, and they have a fan fest. I guess the festivities start with Rampage live on. Well, I guess technically it started with Dynamite on Wednesday, but it really kicks into high gear with the live Rampage uh, on Friday. 
Then they did the AEW Fan Fest all weekend. And then, of course, the pay-per-view on Sunday night, double or nothing. But the first news that broke was that MJF did not show up to his meet and greet. That MJF had a meet and greet at FanFest and he didn't show up and there's uh, paid for tickets. People would purchase tickets to take a photo and get an autograph from Maxwell Jacob Friedman and he wasn't there to, to satiate the appetite of the fans who had paid for a meal. He couldn't feed them. And then they were saying uh, uh, there was a report that he was in the casino at the slot machine. And by there was a report that it means one person told a guy, well, yeah, I saw him at the slot machine. I'll bet you did. Uh, but MJF, regardless of whether or not he was actually at a slot machine, uh, was not at his signing. Then, and it was like, honestly, I know that I thought, and I think a lot of people thought, all MJF, the king of kayfabe, is up to his old tricks again. Who worse? What what would a would a, what could a villain do that's worse than not showing up to meet his fans? Oh, that MJF! I'd like to wring his neck. I think everybody figured that that's what was going on. It's a little weird because. You know, now you're talking about real business. Now you're talking about the fact that people paid for tickets. But still, I think that's what people generally thought until Saturday night, it started breaking online that uh, that CM, uh, that, that, that MJF, I'm sorry, I get all the vowels confused or the, I guess, yeah, MJF, CM. Yeah, those are, no, those aren't vowels. Those are, uh, well, there are other letters. Uh, that they that that people heard that MJF was uh, not at the autograph signing as some sort of protest that it was a it was an aggressive move and more so he may not be at the pay per view. As a matter of fact, on Saturday night it broke that MJF had bought himself a plane ticket out of Las Vegas. He would nobody knew if he was on the plane. But he bought himself a plane ticket and everybody went wild. And David Meltzer and Brian Alvarez were on their thing and they were reporting, hey, this is not a work. And, you know, we're David Meltzer and Brian Alvarez. We would know. And, you know, Sean Ross Sapp was on his thing and being like, this is what I'm hearing. And everybody, everybody was in a tizzy. Twitter was going nuts for it. And I loved it. I was so curious, so curious as to what would happen. And I knew, too. I made a joke about it on Twitter, but I'm sure it was happening. I'm sure Saturday night was a terrible night to be a, a receptionist, an airport receptionist at the Las Vegas International Airport, because I can't imagine how many people put their wrestling journalist hat on and called trying to see if, uh, do you have an MJF booked for a flight leaving Las Vegas? He, you, you'd know, he's... Uh, he, he probably is carrying Burberry luggage, um, may have a diamond ring that says AEW on it. Do you have anybody like, no, no, okay. Will you, can I leave a number? Will you tell me if he's coming? I'm sure that there were so many people, wrestling gonzo journalists, trying to call the airport and figure out if MJF, number one, was booked for a flight and if he was getting on the flight. Because that's what everybody was trying to figure out. You know, AEW didn't make a comment on it. Tony Khan didn't make any comment on it. There were no tweets. There was nothing. 
And MJF wasn't even talking about it. There was nothing being said and everybody wanted to know. And I went to bed thinking, ooh, I can't wait to wake up on Sunday morning to find out whether or not he got on that flight. Did MJF fly all the way back to God's country, Long Island? Did he stay in Vegas? What does it all mean? Well, it was reported that as far as anybody knew, <laughs> he did not get on the flight. So speculation was, was running rampant all day on Sunday. It appears that MJF did not get on the flight that he booked. And people said, well, why did he do this? And then they said, well, he wants more money. You know, the rumor is that his AEW contract is up on January 1st, 2024. So he's got about a year and a half left on the deal. But he wants more money, but he doesn't want an extension or he wants more money and an extension or he just wants an extension and less money. I don't know. Lots of people have a lot of different stories. MJF didn't say any of it, but a lot of other people did. And uh, then um, the speculation started to grow as to, number one, would he be at the pay-per-view? And number two, what would happen if he wasn't? Some people said, you know what should happen? They should just go ahead and put Wardlow in the main event. They should make it a triple threat. Wardlow and MJF isn't going to happen because let's be honest, people said. The reality is, in terms of big stories, now, match-wise, there was a lot to look forward to on this pay-per-view. But in terms of big stories, you're really talking about MJF and Wardlow and CM Punk and Adam Page. And the MJF and Wardlow story, it's two years in the making. I mean, this is the moment for Wardlow. And as much as sympathy and support had been built up for Wardlow in the weeks building up to Double or Nothing, it rocketed through the roof in the 24 hours leading to double or nothing. When people started to realize that this selfish bugger, this brat MJF, through his protest, may be costing Wardlow the big moment that his entire career has been building to, everything that the past two years has been building up towards, every side eye, every facial expression, every placement of every ring, tones and voices, everything had led up to this one moment for Wardlow. This was where he becomes Wardlow. And MJF is going to take that away from him because he wants more or less money or less dates or more dates or more years or less years. And people started to really, like fan support, started to really go crazy for Wardlow to the point that people were like, we need him to have his moment. Maybe, maybe he should be put in the main event and they should just put the title on him. To forget about whatever you got planned with CM Punk and Adam Page, that can wait. Have Wardlow take the title from Hangman and then figure it out afterwards. But at least then the story is that Wardlow is the champion. And then they said, uh, well, that might not happen, but who could replace MJF? You can't just get somebody on the AEW roster to replace MJF. Number one, we're used to big surprises in debuts. Number two, this is a huge two-year story and investment that we wouldn't be paying off. It's not just a match. It's the conclusion to an incredible story and the launch of what should be an incredible career in AEW. And that's when Goldberg's name started being bandied about. Wardlow is, is AEW's Goldberg. And I think now more than ever, fans were chanting Wardlow, 
because of the gimmick with MJF and the handcuffs and the security. He was being shot walking to the ring from the locker room, surrounded by security, much like Goldberg did in his heyday. And they said, well, Goldberg's a free agent. Goldberg's last WWE date apparently has been used. He hasn't re-signed with anybody yet. He could show up to wrestle Wardlow. And I have to tell you, Goldberg versus Wardlow would be very exciting. But I figured out right away. I said, look, if I'm running AEW, and I said this with to the Not Sam Shills that were in the uh, Patreon Zoom before Double or Nothing, so there are witnesses. I said, the only way to handle this is Double or Nothing has to start with MJF. The first person to walk down the aisle is MJF. All the questions get thrown out the window, and it was really interesting because even leading, leading up to double or nothing, even in the, the pre-show itself, because then people started paying attention to everything. At one point during the day on Sunday, a tweet went up that said, tonight, MJF versus Wardlow. And that tweet was then deleted. And somebody saw that and they screen grabbed it. And they said, this was tweet was deleted. Then the, the pre-package, the video package, promoting MJF and Wardlow, it was ripped down from the AEW YouTube channel. Gone, disappeared only hours later to reappear. Speculation ran wild. And I said, this is it. This has to pay off. This isn't what the night is going to be about, right? We've got a world title main event that we've got to worry about. We've got about 19 or maybe 58 other matches on this show. So the first person, regardless of what you're going to do to come out, has to be MJF. And it was. And I was not shocked to see MJF out there, um, the 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 night, I would say the night, but really it was the night going into the morning. Uh, is a very long show. However, I found it to be a very excellent show as well. It was actually uh, really really good. Uh, the night started uh, with MJF versus Wardlow as the match, and it was it was a squashski. You know, it was uh, it was a squash as it, you know, as it was good that it was. I mean, this is this is how you're building up Wardlow. This is the payoff to all the misery that this person uh, went through. But I will tell you that I found that the commentary was keeping MJF strong, that he wasn't being buried like there wasn't like a, a decision was made. I don't think regardless of what happened with MJF not showing up with the mystery plane flight with all this stuff, regardless of any of it, I certainly don't think that uh, the presentation of the match was changed based on uh, MJF's behavior because I think commentary specifically kept him strong, talking about the fact that he was so ready to fight, that this was a different MJF, that this was somebody that he's been avoiding Wardlow and avoiding Wardlow, and now he's ready to fight him. Uh, MJF sold 10 power bombs. You know, at some point, he could have looked less than enthused if he wanted to. Um, and he didn't. So, yeah, you know, he got squashed. But I think that he got squashed for the story, right? I think that he got squashed as he was always intended to get squashed. And he got carted out on a stretcher, leaving many to believe that this was some kind of write-off of television, which I think is probably what it is. And really what it should be, right? 
it's hard, even if there wasn't all this controversy around MJF, that character being what it is, which is not a loser character. It's not MJF is not a traditional chicken shit character. MJF wins matches, right? It's hard after two years to be dominated the way MJF was dominated and then just to show up three days later on television and still say, I'm better than you and you know it. Because I'm like, no, I want you to get powerbombed 10 times in a row by a guy who used to work for you. Actually, you suck. You need to breathe a little bit after that, right? You need, like, it needs to not be about you and you need to let that naturally get out of people's systems regardless. So what's next for Wardlow? Well, I think that, uh, I think that the build towards Wardlow becoming an AEW champion has to begin. I think that it starts by winning the TNT championship, you know, and we'll get into what happened with the TNT champion on the pay-per-view. But um, I do think that, you know, not right away. Give Wardlow a strong showing at a forbidden door against one of the strong boys of Japan uh, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, have, have him have a storyline going into the pay-per-view after that. And then two pay-per-views from now. After Forbidden Door and whatever's next. Maybe that's when you start sending Wardlow towards uh, the TNT Championship. And maybe, you know, six months to a year from now. You've got him in contention. You see how over he is. You see how realistic he is. You see how much of this, uh, 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 how, how, how much of the applause He's maintained. And if he's maintained, like I think he might maintain because the build's been really good for him, then I I think that that you have something. And that's when you decide, okay, he's going to get a world title match. Are we going to put the title on him or is it enough to just have the match, right? And I think that that's way in advance and not something we can even speculate about right now because... We've got too much speculation to do about MJF. So based on everything that happened with the match and everything else, what do I think is going on? Obviously, none of us know what's going on with MJF. At the time of this conversation, I haven't heard Tony Khan say anything about it or anyone say anything about it. I, I'm, I'm sure, at, I would hope at some point at the scrum it will come up, but I don't have that clip at my disposal just yet. Regardless of what Tony Khan says, unless he says something that makes me change my mind. So maybe not regardless, but as of right now, um, I think that you, you've, you've got to keep in mind that with MJF, you have one of the great artists of new kayfabe. And I've talked about new kayfabe on the show a lot. And that's, that's maintaining kayfabe in a world that acknowledges kayfabe. I think that the new kayfabe is all about acknowledge, like, like maintaining old kayfabe so that people who think they're smart to it can see, okay, well, that's fake, that's fake, that's fake, and then boom, that's real. That's the new kayfabe thing, right? And part of that is utilizing the internet, and part of that is utilizing wrestling journalists. And I think if you really want to utilize wrestling journalists, you do have to give them false tips as well as true tips. If you just give a wrestling journalist false tips, they're going to figure out real quick that you are not a reliable source. But if you give a wrestling journalist a few true tips and one false one, they'll report all of them. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but you guys know that when it comes to pro wrestling, I like it when, when thought, when I feel like thought is put into it. And I feel the exact same way 
about my underpants. For example, let's say hypothetically, you got a, a twig, right? And you got berries, okay? And for your entire life, you've been putting your underwear on with no particular place to let either the twig or the berries find themselves. They just sit there. They might stick to your leg. They might get sweaty. They might get, I don't want to get into the specifics of it because I don't have to. See, I started wearing sheath underpants. And what happened is I realized how thoughtless all my underpants had been before. See, sheath actually puts thought into their underpants and they do it by creating two little pockets in the front. First of all, they fit so comfortably. They don't ride up. You can wear them under shorts, under jeans. You can work out in them. I do all those things. It's perfect. But the key here is the thought and the thought that's put into the twig and the berries. Two pockets in the front of your underpants now. One, you slide the twig all the way into. The second one, tuck the berries into. And all of a sudden, you're going through this experience where everything feels comfortable, everything feels like it's in the right place, and you feel like the people who designed your underpants thought of you. And you know who that was? U.S. Army soldier Robert Patton. He's the one that came up with sheath, and he's the one that is constantly thinking about your genitals and where you should place them. If you don't believe me, try them out for yourself. Go to sheathunderwear.com, and you can order with promo code NOTSAM to get 20% off your first order, and you'll get sheath's 100% money-back guarantee. That's sheathunderwear.com, promo code NOTSAM, Get sheath underwear. Let them support your balls. Support the show and get 20% off with code NOTSAM at sheathunderwear.com. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You know. And I think that that happens. I think that that happens a lot. I think that that a lot of times some things leak, some things are chosen to be leaked, you know? And I think that, that, that this could be something like that. I'd love to find out who was the first person to find out about his plane ticket out of Las Vegas and how did they find that out? Because what I'm thinking is, because you go like, okay, you know, I, I definitely think that MJF is 100% somebody who's prone to do things in character and and 
do things in a less than truthful manner uh, in order to preserve his character. And what happened here was it was essential to the build of Wardlow that MJF stay a heel, that MJF maintain his heat. And one of the ways that worked was because MJF is such a good heel that he's constantly running that risk of uh, being cheered. MJF doesn't want to get booed because fans are doing their jobs. You know, like a lot of people like even like, you know, my uh, comrades in this uh, wrestling coverage thing, wrestling content creators, journalists, whoever they are, the people who interview MJF and MJF stays in character, they'll, I guess, help him out. Oh, yeah, I hate that guy. Oh, MJF sucks, blah, blah, blah. And they're like kind of in character with it. And it's all cool, but you don't want fans doing that, right? You don't want fans booing you because they're in on the bit. You want fans booing you because they don't like you. And I think that spreading the word that MJF is doing something potentially out of self-interest at a very young age and doing so at the expense of somebody who's about to get a break results in fans being upset about that. And, you know, not showing up to something that fans have paid for is going to result in fans being upset about it. We've seen that time and time again. People are still mad that CM Punk left WWE today. So, you know, I think that that's all a part of it, and I think that MJF knows it. I don't think at any point we were in danger of MJF not being at this show. Um, The question is, how much of this is a traditional, organized work, quote unquote, amongst people. And is this MJF calling Tony Khan saying, and then we'll do this and then we'll do this. And then Tony says, yeah, and then you do that. And then you do that. You know, no, I don't think that all that's happening. You know, I think there's probably plenty of times that MJF decides to do things. And then even if it's a pain in the ass of AEW, they decide to go along with it because it's like, yeah, this is kind of what MJF does, the business that we're in. And, you know, we can make it work for us. I 100% think that AEW knew that MJF would be at the show for a few reasons. Number one, I don't think they're going to promote a match if they're not sure it's going to happen. They would at least warn, like AEW does, hasn't really had a history of pulling stuff like that just yet. But number two, if they really thought he wasn't going to be there, they would have to have a backup plan in place. And as valuable as MJF is, if AEW flies in Goldberg just in case, and then MJF walks into the building and Goldberg is sitting there already, he's getting paid. That's not very easy to just go like, okay, Goldberg, well, we're just going to give you your half million dollars and and MJF's going to go out there and wrestle. Like, that's not happening, you know? So I think that, like, on some level, like, you can't, you, uh, it's wrestling, you, you can't not know if somebody's going to show up or not. So I don't think that that was happening, you know. Uh, do I think that there was some organized thing that stopped MJF from showing up to his autograph signing? Probably not, but it's possible. The reason I say probably not is because it's very outside of AEW's general way of doing business. The same reason they wouldn't, 
generally probably promote a match that wasn't going to happen or was in danger of not happening is the same reason why traditionally you would think AEW would not just pull an autograph signing that people have paid for, even if they're going to get refunded. It's just not something AEW is generally in the business of doing. But the more I thought about it, I said, that said, you know, I don't know Tony Khan. I've never met him. But from all perspectives, he's as big a wrestling fan as you'll ever meet. He was a tape trader. He, I mean, he's as big a wrestling fan as any of us, if not even bigger. So if there's any wrestling promoter in the world that would get off on doing some weird Brian Pillman stuff, it's him. The same way I would, the same way you would, the same way. It's like one of those, it's fun. It's like we're, we're in this thing. We're creating real life drama. Because I think the idea is that if MJF does disappear for a while and he goes and he shoots a movie or he does a TV show or he sits at home, does whatever. I think the idea is you want fans to believe that he's not happy in AEW. And the idea is that you want fans to believe he might not be back. And you want fans to believe that he could show up on Raw or SmackDown somehow at any point. That way, when he does eventually come back to AEW, it's a huge shock. And he's a bigger star than ever. And I think that's what you'll see. Now, when his contract is up, will he use all this, regardless of what he's saying now, to possibly make the move over to Stamford, Connecticut? I mean, we'll talk in 2024, but I think that that's entirely possible. But all that said, I, I, I think that, that this is a very elaborate sort of uh, buildup to the eventual return of MJF. And I go a step further with that because uh, CM Punk won the AEW World Heavyweight Championship at Double or Nothing over the weekend. Um, I thought I really, I really enjoyed the match myself. I thought CM Punk was the exact right choice to be the champion in AEW right now. I think that you'll, you'll, you're going to see with AEW as a company that they're, they're really going to very, very quickly evolve into what's next for them. I think they're going to change a lot. You know, I think they're going to change into a place where, where it feels a little bit more mainstream. I think that you're going to see that while it does cater to people who love wrestling and you'll still see a lot of really good matches and a lot more wrestling than you would typically on a wrestling television show or pay-per-view, I also think that you're going to start seeing more stories. I think you're going to start, you know, seeing emphasis put on big stars that you can put on billboards, that you can bring to radio shows and television shows, that you can put on The Tonight Show. That you, I, I think that, that there's going to be a push for that. Because I think there's going to be a push to create AEW and, and make it more of a mainstream product that still focuses on the action and caters to wrestling fans. I just think you're going to start seeing a much bigger mainstream side to it. I think they're really figuring out who they are now. And I think that's, it's very, 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 very different than what the company was when they started. And I think that that's natural. And I think that that's the way it should be. That when they started, it was, this is what the company will be based on our idea of what we think a wrestling company would be. And once it's going, it goes, no, this is what the company is based on what we know a wrestling company to be. It's like any other business, you know? 
I think that CM Punk coming in was probably the biggest move in that direction. You know, the biggest star in wrestling, you know, save for maybe John Cena since the Roman Reigns era is CM Punk. You know, you had you had John Cena, then you had Roman Reigns. Who was the biggest star in between? I would absolutely say that was CM Punk. And then the debate can can start to rage on between the three of them, I suppose. Um, but, you know, I would probably put it that way. I would probably put CM, uh, uh, John Cena. CM Punk is the most famous superstar since John Cena before this version of Roman Reigns. And while it's a really qualified statement, it's actually a pretty big statement. That's a big deal. There's a lot of people. Those are two very, very, very famous stars. And CM Punk is is in that conversation. And then I think when uh, Brian Danielson came over and Adam Cole came over and it started to become this viable thing, I think, yeah, I, you know, you could see it in the pay-per-view on Sunday. It just, it just, it's a different looking company. But that said... I thought uh, as far as the match went between Hangman and CM Punk, uh, I thought Excalibur specifically on commentary did a very nice job setting up what this was, did a very nice job uh, giving us the backstory in like a, in like two sentences. He explained sort of the, 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 the roots of what this fight was about and how, and it's almost what you're seeing, right? You're seeing... Adam Page represent what AEW was when the company started. From the day the company launched, there was a plan in place to put the title on Adam Page. CM Punk represents what the company is becoming. And there is that, I'm sure, rivalry going on backstage. There is that rivalry amongst fans. There are those people who think that Adam Page is their champion and CM Punk is not. It's, it's a whole, it's a big, big story. But that's what it's all about, right? And I thought they did a really good job with that. Uh, I love, I love salt and pepper punk. I love some white in that beard. I like he's looking grizzled. He's looking like a grizzled veteran in that ring, and I love that. I thought that both of them did a really, really excellent job selling. You know, I thought that 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 it was the type of selling where you were look at it wondering if one of them or the other one was having legitimate knee problems. They were telling a story throughout the entire match. I thought it, that was really, really good. Um, I, I I thought, and, I, and I'll bet after this pay-per-view it changes, but watching CM Punk put Adam Page in the sharpshooter made me think that that should absolutely, <clears throat> that that should, excuse me, should absolutely have been communicated to Ruby Soho before her match so that you didn't have multiple sharpshooters on the same show. Um, but ultimately Punk won. I thought it was great that, that Adam Page leaves still a good guy. And as a matter of fact, he's such a good guy that he lost because of it. He didn't take advantage of the moment that he had. And it cost him the AEW World Championship. And he didn't shake CM Punk's hand. I would like to see an Adam Page-CM Punk rematch. I think CM Punk should beat Adam Page. And I think that's when Adam Page should shake CM Punk's hand and push him forward. You know, because I I, I think that that if you want, if CM Punk's going to be in your company, if CM Punk's going to be in your company and you're using him four times a year, then no, he shouldn't be the champion. He should be putting people over and building big matches. But if CM Punk is going to be in your company and he's going to be on your TV show every week 
and he's going to be wrestling on every pay-per-view, and he's going to be wrestling on a lot of TV shows, he absolutely should be your champion. And he absolutely is going to be the biggest star on your television. So put that title on him, get eyes on him, and make it so that when somebody finally beats him for that title, it's a big deal. And that brings us back to MJF. Because when CM Punk won the AEW championship, on his lower third, it popped up, it said CM Punk is 19-1 and in AEW. And I believe that CM Punk is going to have a long title reign as champion. Uh, I believe that CM Punk should have that title for at least a year. I mean, he should carry that title. He should be that guy. And in that year, he should have his rematch with Adam Page. And he should have a match with Brian Danielson. And he should have a match with John Moxley. And there should be matches that happen on TV with Ricky Starks and Will Hobbs and and and, and Hook and Danhausen. Well, maybe not Hook. You don't want to give Hook the loss. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. Get all ego Ethan Page in there. Get everybody in there. But ultimately, I think we need to come back to the biggest threat in CM Punk's career. I think we need to not worry about all those numbers that keep stacking up because by the time you get to a year from now, you're looking at 30 and one. You're looking at 35 and one, maybe. He's accumulated 20 matches over the course of... 10 months. So theoretically, 10 months from now, he'd have another 20 under his belt, right? Maybe he'll be 40 and one. 40 and one a year from now. And when that happens, that's when the one comes back. That's when MJF shows up. And that's when you revisit MJF and CM Punk as this like, boom, boom. Here we go. Now MJF has a real opportunity to get the title. And like I said, you have to assess everything for what it is then. Is that something where you don't want to put the title on MJF? Because right now, when I look at who that are homegrown AEW stars should hold the AEW title, you have MJF and you have Wardlow. MJF, definitely Wardlow, maybe if he can maintain. And both in very, very different ways. You know, MJF, and again, this goes back to the whole uh, uh, drama around the plane ticket. MJF is compared to the hot rod Rowdy Roddy Piper a lot. And the thing about Roddy Piper is he was legitimately hated, like MJF wants to be. He would be the one who would make you believe it was real. I think that it might be a year from now all this has passed us. MJF has been back in AEW for six, eight, ten months, whatever it is. It might be time to finally turn MJF face. At some point, MJF is going to have to be a baby face. He's too good. He's too popular. You know, it's just, it's going to happen. Now, he may end up going heel again after, but I think at some point, MJF will be a baby face. And in the buildup to Double or Nothing, in the promo that CM Punk did with Adam Page, I couldn't help but see this little twinkle in CM Punk's eye and realize that, my God, would CM Punk be a great heel champion in AEW? If CM Punk were really to unleash the evil, and now, now that he's powerful, you know, he's the biggest thing in wrestling, and he's the champion, and now he's evil as well, well, I think there you've got a hell of a character. 
I don't want to see it for a while, you know? I think that CM Punk as a babyface champion is what you've got and what you should have and what you need right now. I think eventually, before his title reign is over, it could be cool to see the evil side of Punk again. And if that were to happen, MJF, not Wardlow, might be the right pick to be that guy to finally take the title off of a drunk with power CM Punk. It remains to be seen, but uh, CM Punk is champion starting the Summer of Punk 3, Ring of Honor, Summer of Punk, WWE, Summer of Punk, now AEW, Summer of Punk, definitely leads to some compelling matches within AEW. Uh, Double or Nothing was, uh, with the including the pre-show, it was about five hours and 10 minutes without exaggeration. Started at 7.30 p.m. on the East, ended uh, at... 1240-something. Look, people were like, hey, hats off to that Las Vegas crowd for staying with the show. It was 9.30 at night in Las Vegas, okay? I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. I'm in New York, where it was tomorrow already. It was after midnight. I got kids. They keep me up in the morning. They keep me active all day. I was the one who deserves credit for staying active throughout that show. Not those Las Vegas gamblers that stayed up until 9.30. Whoa, good for you guys. So coming off of uh, right after the MJF match, you had uh, the Hardy Boys versus uh, the Young Bucks. And, you know, surprisingly, I would say, if you wanted to shave some time off this pay-per-view, which I don't think would be a bad thing, you know, I, I, I don't, it wasn't a bad pay-per-view. Everything, I was interested in everything to some degree. But I did notice a couple of spots where I was like, you could shave that down. In hindsight, I don't think you needed to do the Hardy Boys versus the Young Bucks on pay-per-view. I know some people will say that's sacrilegious, but hear me out. I feel like you did this match because it was like, well, we have Matt and Jeff Hardy now. We kind of got to do the Hardy Boys versus the Young Bucks, right? Yeah, but no, not really. You did it. The dream match happened. You know, when the Hardys were just off impact, fresh on the delete run, right before they were in WWE again with that big WrestleMania 34 pop. When they were, you know, in Ring of Honor, doing the ladder match and everything. Like, we got to see the Young Bucks versus the Hardy Boys. Always cool to see it, but, you know, I mean, we're getting to the point now where when we see the Hardy Boys, it's like, I still, they're gods. Gods. Not just goats. Gods. I love all four of those guys in this match. But you get nervous. You get nervous for these Hardy Boys nowadays. Especially when Jeff is running around here with his boots unbuckled. I didn't know what was going on. It was a good match. It was a very polarizing match. I saw a lot of people who did not like it. A lot of people thought it was sloppy. I, I thought it was fine. I didn't get that from it. You know, I wasn't, I thought they, they, they hit most of their spots. I thought that there was a, a, a good sort of, a, it was almost a, a highlight reel. You know, everything that you were looking for was there. I was kind of surprised that the Hardy Boys won. I guess they're probably going to go on a run. Um, I'd love to see the Hardy Boys versus FTR. Because I'd love for FTR to keep them on the ground and to show us a new side of the Hardy Boys. But yeah, you know, I don't need the reunion to last all that long. You know, I'd kind of rather see what kind of creative juices Matt has flowing. And let Jeff jump in there for the singles matches every now and then. I kind of liked how WWE was using Jeff, to tell you the truth. 
You know, we got to see him in that Hell in a Cell match with Randy Orton, but, you know, I didn't like it when he was like, you know, in chasing the 24-7 title. Don't get me wrong. Stuff like that I thought was ridiculous. But Jeff just kind of being a featured player, you know, jumping in here and there. Oh, that's so cool. Jeff Hardy's still here. Do a quick four or five minute match every now and then pop out of his turtle shell to be like, okay, we can throw him into a main event whenever we need a guy to be in a main event. He's Jeff Hardy. He's the fucking man, right? I like that version of Jeff Hardy better than than this, specifically for me right now, but I'm 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 interested in seeing where it's all going. Uh, then we got Anna Jay uh, challenging Jade Cargill for the TBS championship. First of all, I've been saying this for forever, but, oh, how anybody with a wrestling promotion can't watch Jade Cargill and go, oh, if only. Just as big a star as anybody could ever be. Jade Cargill is such a megastar. She's so appealing to watch. It just, it, it doesn't look human. It looks like the type of, of entity that you pay money to see. If you pay money for a ticket and Jade Cargill walks down the aisle, you feel like, yeah, that's why I'm on this side of the railing and she's on that side of the railing. She doesn't pay to be here. She gets paid to be here. We pay to see her. You know, and yeah, I thought this match probably could have gone a little bit shorter to tell you the truth. Um, Anna Jay got in a lot of offense. There was also, there was, there were some timing missteps in this one. Um, but ultimately... I liked I liked seeing uh, what Jade Cargill had. I, I think they made a great choice in the change. A lot going on, especially towards the end of this thing. I would have liked to have seen Jade Cargill officially fire Smart Mark Sterling, Silver Balls. Uh, I, I thought like an official you're fired type thing happening. I, I would have liked to see that. But what I loved to see was Stokes walking down that aisle. Oh, Stokely Hathaway, apparently his WWE non-compete ended like the day before the pay-per-view. And as soon as it was up, he was right there. I think he's in the exact right spot. I think Stokely Hathaway, the former Malcolm Bivens, being the mouthpiece for Jade Cargill is money, 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 money. I think we're going to get the best out of both people doing that. Uh, and then Athena, the former Ember Moon, showing her face, announcing she's now All Elite, jumping out there, joining this women's roster, which I'm in full support of. I think she's going to be a major asset to AEW. I think she's got a level of skill that's going to bring, that's uh, going to bring the entire division up, that's going to create a whole new set of matches. I think that as a teacher, she's going to be able to, to be a, a, a fountain of information for a lot of the younger women on the roster in AEW. And I think that just her attitude, just her vibe. I know from interacting with her uh, at NXT, she was just a joy to be around. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that one is a, is, a, is a really, really good signing. And I think you're going to end up with a, with a, with a lot uh, there. Uh, by the way, it says here that Tony Khan says he will not comment on MJF at the media scrum. So, you know, it is what it is. My my comments stand. Uh, we had uh, the House of Black uh, versus the Death Triangle. Uh, I loved this trios match. 
uh, aside from the MJF angle, this was probably my favorite up until this point. Uh, they just, the death triangle, they just love, they just tell stories. You know, at one point, JR on commentary said, all these men believe they're main eventers. And I thought that was a great call. I thought that was just a, a real great way for good old JR to sum up exactly what we were seeing. Because it was like every single second of this match, I felt like all six of those guys were making the most out of their time. We're realizing that we have a little bit of time on this great pay-per-view, on this great roster, and we got to make the most of it. And every single one of them did. I think the House of Black especially is so great. Uh, and Malachi is, Malachi is a future world champion. Malachi Black is one of those that you look at and you're like, ah, ah, I think we might have missed the boat on that one. He's so great at what he does and just and just presenting, just presenting his story. And he's a storyteller. I think the best pro wrestlers are storytellers. And Malachi's a storyteller. You know, I think that uh, uh, having Buddy Murphy there, he uh, Murphy, he's just excellent. He's just excellent. And then, and don't get me started on how much I like Brody King. He's the man, dude. He's the man. I thought the ending was great. I loved uh, Julia Hart coming out and and joining the group. Uh, I thought I think she's a great addition. The camera shot on her. The camera work is getting much better in AEW. I find the camera shot on her. I mean, it's just it's just the the corrupted angel. That's who she is. The angel corrupted. She's literally a blonde cheerleader that used to hang out with the jocks with mullets, and she's been corrupted by this evil trio that's now a quadrant here to perform Satan's tasks. And she's almost, I mean, she's got she's got a, a, a power over all of them. Who knows? It's, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was really cool. Uh, the two Owen Cups went down. Big Mike Kyoto showing up for this one. Uh, both uh, Britt Baker and Adam Cole showing up very toyetic in uh, pink, black, and white trunks. Um... You know, I, 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 I was hoping Samoa Joe was going to win this one, to tell you the truth. Once I saw Adam Cole on stage after the match, kind of accepting the award, I was like, okay, no, it makes sense that Adam Cole would be up here. Because Samoa Joe, at this point in his AEW career, that character showing humility and being happy to accept the award would probably be a little out of character of this brute force Samoa Joe guy. So... I was okay with it. I mean, it's such a blast to get to see Adam Cole and Samoa Joe wrestle. And then it's funny. With Ruby Soho and Britt Baker, I thought that the wrong person had won the match on uh, Rampage. I thought that Chris Statlander should beat Ruby Soho and then go on and beat Britt Baker. It would make Chris Statlander, and even though now she's involved with the... Uh, with Athena and Jade Cargill and all that stuff, the baddies, whatever. I, I just think that that it would have elevated her tremendously. It, it doesn't downgrade. Britt Baker doesn't have anything to worry about. Britt Baker's a made woman at this point in AEW. She's the best. But I feel like it was the opportunity to make somebody, and I was like, Chris Statlander is the one I would have made. And I think that the fans reacted that way. I wasn't shocked that the fans did not like that Ruby beat Chris. And it sucks for Ruby because she's awesome. But it just felt like it was Chris Statlander's time 
I think Chris Statlander, she's got something very, very special about her. And I think, quite frankly, that there is something too. I think AEW fans like superstars that were born and bred AEW and that have this special quality. I think that's one of the attractions that there are to people like Jade Cargill and Britt Baker. I think MJF has that. I think Wardlow has that. And I think Chris Statlander has that. All that said, my entire opinion changed when I saw Rancid on that stage. As soon as I saw Rancid on that stage playing Ruby Soho live, oh, you don't understand what that song and that whole album, Outcome the Wolves, meant to me when I was in seventh grade. How many times I've played that entire album over and over and over again. How it's driven me crazy that Tony Khan insists on starting that song from the hook when Ruby Soho comes out instead of starting that song from with the riff like they did at the pay-per-view because the riff is perfect. That's like, that's how it should start when Ruby walks to the ring, regardless. As soon as I saw Rancid out there, I was like, okay, this should be, I'm ready for it to be Ruby's night. I'm all on board. And honestly, I felt like the crowd, most of which was probably the same crowd that was at Rampage because it was in the same building. It probably just bought tickets to both shows. All of a sudden, we're back on Ruby's side. So it was kind of a bummer to see Britt win, not because we don't like Britt, but just because I felt like it was time for a good guy to win. And it was a little weird. It was great that Martha Hart was there. It was awesome to see everybody honor Owen, just one of the greatest of all time. But it was weird that it was two heels up on stage that didn't really need the boost, right? Like, I, I would have thought that it would be at least one baby face that this was meaningful to their career, that they were going to get amped up the card because of this. And so, yeah, to... To see the first Owen Cup, it's, I, I mean, look, it went to two incredibly talented people who deserve to be world title holders, but they, that's my point. They already deserve to be world title holders. So they don't necessarily need the boost. You know what I mean? Um, this is where the pay-per-view started to get a little long for me. Um, I get that it's very, very difficult to follow the Owen Hart ceremony. Obviously, it's a very emotional thing. But I still felt like Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, and Paige Van Zant versus Ty Conti. Uh, uh, I keep wanting to say Sami Zayn, Sammy Guevara, and Frankie Kazarian. I think that that could have easily just been on Dynamite. I don't think there was any reason for this match to be at the pay-per-view. Uh, I felt like this was a match that left people like <coughs> kind of getting a little like, all right. All right, the show's starting to feel a little long. We're going to need something to help pick us back up. Um, you know, I, I, I also think that they were all villains in this match. So the audience had a little bit of, I know I, as a member of the audience, had a little bit of trouble connecting with them in the sense that I didn't have anybody to root for. You know, I, I don't know that the moment of Scorpio Sky winning that championship in the ladder match was ever fully capitalized on. So, like, I, I feel like Scorpio Sky is right there on the cusp. He should be a hero. He should be a good guy. But because Dan Lambert is still Dan Lambert, Ethan Page is still Ethan Page, Page Van Zant, which is very hard to keep track of all these people, but everybody's a villain in this match, you know? So I thought it was a little, and I don't know what Page Van Zant is doing, doing Michinoku drivers to anybody right now. She is not at this stage in the game where she needs to be dropping people on their heads. Okay. 
I would have been happy to see this match on Dynamite. You know, I don't know if it was needed at the pay-per-view. Uh, but I am uh, glad that we're going to be separating uh, Scorpio Sky and uh, Sammy Guevara. I think it is time to separate them. I'm a huge Sammy fan, whether he's a babyface or a heel. I think he does both very well. He's doing heel very well right now. He's great. I think that it's good to separate him. I think that we can hopefully turn Scorpio babyface, have him do something over here. And I, I think Sammy Guevara is going to be a big, big draw on the heel side. I would right now, Sammy Guevara is the next place that I would put Wardlow. I would put Wardlow and Sammy uh, in a program together, uh, basically starting on, uh, on uh, I was going to say on Impact, but on, on Dynamite. Maybe you don't want to start it until after the New Japan pay-per-view, but that, that's the next place that I would go with Wardlow. Uh, I loved what I saw from Kyle O'Reilly. When Kyle O'Reilly and Darby Allin came out, I was like, I forgot this match was happening. I don't know why this match is happening. And as I'm looking at the clock going, how long is this pay-per-view going to go? Why is this match happening? And then I watched the match. See, that's the key. A lot of people would establish this opinion during the entrances and just stick with it and do their whole podcast sticking with this opinion. But I decided to actually watch the match. And upon watching the match, I went, oh my God, this is great. And I'll tell you when I, when I really clicked in. It was when Kyle O'Reilly uh, caught Darby in the guillotine on the floor and was trying to choke him out. And the commentators were like, can we get a replay of that one? No, not that one. Uh, just kidding. But I mean, they did do that, but that's not. I. But when he did choke him out on the floor, it was just a different side of Kyle O'Reilly. It was a side of Kyle O'Reilly we haven't seen. It was a side of Kyle O'Reilly that we didn't see in NXT when he was a solo star. And it was the best side of Kyle O'Reilly. It was aggressive. It was mean. It was dangerous. And I really, really liked what I saw from Kyle O'Reilly. I was shocked that he got the victory over Darby Allen. Uh, clearly, AEW sees something in Kyle O'Reilly. And I think that this version is going to be the version that works. As long as he doesn't come out in a fedora, I think this is going to be the version. Um, what are you going to say about Thunder Rosa versus Serena Deeb? They're just on a different level. Even the, I mean, the little things. The little things are, are, are what makes all the difference in wrestling. And... I know, like, go back and rewind it. Hopefully you got on, like, Bleacher Report, which, by the way, I do want to say this. I had no problem whatsoever with Bleacher Report. I put it on. I ordered it before the pre-show, watched the whole pre-show on the thing, started the pay-per-view after that. At no point did my feed go out. At no point was it tough to order. Didn't bill me more than once. I had zero problems getting this pay-per-view for what it's worth. Um, but these, yeah, Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb are just, just really talented people on a different level. Great match. Thunder Rosa has an amazing Russian leg sweep. The Russian leg sweep is a move that people just kind of take for granted. It's one of those, you know, go with the motions moves and Thunder's version of it. Like she really looks like she's hooking the leg. It looks like it's a truly impactful move. It's really great. But yeah, I thought, I thought they did great. I wish they'd had a little bit more of a story going in. They built a little something in the two weeks leading up to it. But yeah, I'd, I'd love for Thunder to get something that she can really sink her teeth into. Uh, coming up here going forward. Uh, Anarchy in the arena was awesome. It was from the minute the Jericho Appreciation Society came out in all white with their vests on and their backwards kangles looking like they were 98 degrees. A boy band from the early 2000s 
I thought this match was fantastic. It was just sensory overload in the best possible way. This is happening over here. This is happening over there. It was the best Eddie Kingston we could ever see. It was John Moxley in his deathmatch glory, jabbing people with forks on television. It was real Eddie Kingston, Yonkers Eddie Kingston, street Eddie Kingston on national wrestling television in front of millions of people. Showing him what was up when Eddie Kingston uh, came to the ring carrying a gas can, soaked in blood, ripped Yankees t-shirt on. It was like something out of a movie, man. Eddie Kingston is that dude. It was awesome. I was not happy that uh, Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson is the one that uh, was eventually choked out. But, you know, I'm sure that story will be told. And I, I, I mean, I loved this version of Brian Danielson. Um, I don't think that the Jericho story is over or maybe they're going to start a rivalry with Eddie Kingston the way there was that friction during the match. But eventually, I would love to see the Blackpool Combat Club and House of Black go at it. I think that that would be a really fun uh, faction rivalry. I think it'd be really cool. Um, we saw uh, they had to go to a bunch of promos and stuff because they tore apart the ring literally took the ropes down off the ring and hit each other with them. It was the damnedest thing. But in that, we got more debuts, three debuts tonight. Not only did we get Athena, not only did we get Stokely Hathaway, but Roosh, Roosh has joined AEW. He is going to be joining up with uh, uh, Andrade. So Roosh is amazing. Former Ring of Honor World Champion. So it's a good signing. Um, I'll tell you, Watching this tag team triple threat match for the tag team championship, Hobbs and Starks, Swerve and Lee, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus. This was another one where I think Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus really represent what AEW was. But I'll tell you right now, if there was ever a match where you realize once you get started, uh-oh, the wrong team's about to win this thing, my God. Talk about the one that got away. I told you guys from the beginning, I told you guys in the NXT days, I would have told you before NXT because I was watching them before NXT. But Swerve is the guy. Doing that leap off of, off of Keith Lee's chest. How about Keith Lee doing that flip over the top rope? I mean, it should absolutely have been Swerve and Keith Lee winning the AEW Tag Team Championship at the pay-per-view. Absolutely should have been them. I, all of the teams involved are great. But on Sunday night, it was their night. It, they, they went to a completely another level on Sunday. I thought it was great. You could hear it. You could hear the fan response to all of it. Um, yeah, it was just really, really good. It was really, really good. And, uh, and yeah, I think, that, I think that they did something very, very special on Sunday should have been them. I hope that uh, they continue to build momentum and it becomes a big deal when they do win the AEW tag team championship, but there's a lot to be done with the AEW tag team championship. You know, you've got uh, FTR wasn't even on the pay-per-view and they're on a career run like no one else, you know, who knows? It, it's probably, you know, I, I, I would probably, what I would do is I would probably put the AEW tag team championship on FTR. Have them, you know, be the Ultimo Dragon of Tag Team Champions where they've got the Ring of Honor and the AAA and the AEW. Like, they're the team. 
and then get to a point, maybe the next pay-per-view after the New Japan one, where Swerve and Lee beat FTR to become the AEW Tag Team Champions. That's probably how you get that moment back. That's probably what I would do. Well, if you were busy this weekend watching wrestling, we got more amazing wrestling coming up next weekend. Not only we got Raw and Dynamite and Impact and SmackDown and Rampage, but then next weekend, we got wrestling all weekend. Saturday, we got NXT in your house. I love that, they're, that they've got in your house back. Uh, I think it's the best. Um, but yes, NXT in your house. So far, we got, uh, I think, Braun Breaker versus Joe Gacy. If uh, Braun Breaker gets disqualified, he loses the title. So obviously, with the story that's being told, the idea is that Joe Gacy is going to keep playing these mind games and try to get Braun Breaker so mad that he wants to uh, 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 tear him limb from limb regardless of rules. He gets himself disqualified. Boom, boom, boom. Joe Gacy's your champion. I think it's as a stipulation, it makes sense, you know? I mean, realistically, it's like, on what planet is Joe Gacy going to be able to stop the unstoppable monster known as Braun Breaker? Ain't going to happen. So, what if a stipulation is there that would allow him to outsmart Braun Breaker? Well, we got one. We're going to find out if it works on Saturday. You got the North American Championship on the line, Cameron Grimes versus uh, Carmelo Hayes. Uh, You got the NXT Tag Team Championship on the line, pretty deadly versus the Creed Brothers, which I think is going to be great. I love Pretty Deadly. I think they're awesome. And then I believe you've got the finals of uh, the next, uh, of the of the tournaments, right? I think you got the finals of the, uh, or of the women's breakout tournament happening. And we'll see if a uh, women's championship match gets added. I don't think it has just yet. And then, so that's Saturday, and then on Sunday, you've got Hell in a Cell. So you get two premium live events this weekend. Sunday, you got Hell in a Cell. That's Ezekiel versus Kevin Owens. Bobby Lashley versus almost an MVP in a handicap match. Bianca Belair, Asuka, Becky Lynch, triple threat, Raw Women's Championship. And then the big Hell in a Cell match is Cody Rhodes versus Seth freaking Rollins, which, by the way, go ahead and go back on Peacock. Watch last week's Raw Talk. I was the guest from here in the Not Sam studio, and I had the take of all takes about Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes. So if you haven't watched that, go back and and check it out. I think it would be a good one for maybe Cody to lose. Maybe it's time for Cody to lose. I think it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to see him him claw up. Uh, It'll also be interesting after Hell in a Cell to start to figure out... um, what uh, 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 Money in the Bank is going to look like, right? Because Money in the Bank, theoretically, who knows, was changed because it got, well, it's definitely changed in the sense of its location. You know, Money in the Bank went from being in Allegiant Stadium to now uh, being in the more intimate uh, uh, arena, the MGM or whatever. Uh, and and people are, are, you know, everybody was taken off the poster. New people were put on the poster. Everybody's trying to figure out who's going to be there and why. Uh, I don't know, you know, who knows if the stipulation will remain about WrestleMania. Seems like everything's in the air. And the only thing that we can do to figure out what's happening is to stay tuned. Watch the shows. Watch all the wrestling shows. And if you don't get to, then 
tune into Not Sam Wrestling. I was about to sign off, as a matter of fact, but then I remembered that we haven't opened the email bag. If you want to uh, uh, talk to us here at Not Sam Wrestling, email notsamwrestling at gmail.com. That's notsamwrestling at gmail.com. We got a few emails this week, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. This one's coming from Richard. Sam, with the recent run by the Bloodline, winning multiple championships each, I keep thinking back to a storyline from TNA from 2007 that had a match at Victory Road with Samoa Joe versus Kurt Angle versus the Dudleys with the TNA Championship, X Division Championship, and Tag Team Championships all on the line. The stipulation was whichever wrestler got the pin won the championship of the wrestler they pinned. Uh, and then he goes on, forgive my ignorance if a similar thing happened in WWE or another promotion, but my question to you is whether you think WWE could or should pull off a similar angle. I think the idea of all the titles on the line match uh, has many opportunities for storytelling. Uh, I think uh, uh, da, 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 it's a great chance to move a title without having the old champion lose to somebody, blah, 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 yeah. I uh, would love to hear your thoughts. A fan named Rich. Well, Rich, I will tell you that that has been done. Uh, the dudes with attitudes uh, at one, at the end of a pay-per-view held all the titles. It was, I believe it was Yoko and Owen versus Sean and Diesel. I believe Sean was the WWE champion and Diesel was the inter... No, Diesel was the world champion Sean was the Intercontinental Champion. Yes, of course, that had to be the way it was. And I believe Yoko and Owen were the tag champions. And Sean and Diesel won, but it was like by DQ. They held up all the titles, but they didn't get to keep them. Um, I don't know how that would work now. You know, they've unified the tag titles and the Universal and WWE title. So they are, you know, all inside the uh the 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 bloodline. I mean, I guess you could do like a six man like and do like Riddle and the New Day versus the Usos and Roman and have like half the titles, right? Have the raw titles on the line, for example, and Riddle pin and but every title's on the line, so Riddle pins one of the Usos. So New Day becomes the Raw Tag Team Champions, and Riddle becomes the WWE Champion. You could do that, but I also think that that if you're not careful, because it can work, but it can also trivialize the championship in the sense that you didn't get to see that big match. Like your person who just won the title didn't get the title through sort of you know, conquering that great unconquerable foe. So people may not take them as seriously. So, you know, I mean, I, I think depending on the situation, it can work, but it's very situational. Thank you, though. Um, we got another email here. Oh, with pictures and everything. This one coming from uh, Shiamo. Shiamo says, uh, hi, Sam, I'd like to pick your brain on the five most underrated WWE pay-per-views ever. I love that list. Uh, my five in no particular order. No Mercy 2008. Okay. Fully Loaded 2000. Okay. Evolution 2018. That's an interesting pick. Doesn't get talked about a lot, but I guess that's why it would be on the underrated pay-per-views list. Extreme Rules 2012. 
and Royal Rumble 2018. Well, I may have to revisit that because I love that idea as a concept, but I'd have to put, I think, a lot of time uh, and research into that. Uh, Fion from Ireland writes in, uh, longer email this week because I have a lot to get off my chest. Uh, appreciate you reading my uh, email last week. Uh, after doing your video package episode, I thought, what is your favorite AEW video package? Uh, I mean, it's recent, but I don't think that they've done anything better than that William Regal package that was on with uh, the Blackpool Combat Club with, uh, you know, him explaining and explaining the scar on the cheek and everything. I thought that was probably the best one that I've seen. Um, but that's off the top of my head. Uh, What's your favorite podcast episode ever, any show, if necessary, non-wrestling? Uh, I'd love to give you my favorite wrestling podcast episode. I mean, I guess the CM Punk Colt Cabana podcast is like a classic, but um, I don't know, man. My, my, my favorite podcast episode is probably, probably one of the interviews I did with Daniel Bryan. It's my podcast because I have the best podcast and it's probably the interview that I did with Daniel Bryan when his book came out. I remember really enjoying that interview. I hope that helps. Uh, your dream AEW versus WWE matches. I can't go on about all that. That's going to take too long. By the way, I have an idea. Whoever has the best email each week should be crowned the new Not Sam Heavyweight Champion. Uh, I think that that's a great idea and I'm giving it to Richard. I'm sorry, Fion. I can't give it to you. It's a great email, but I can't give it to you because you asked for the title to be created, and I don't want people politicking for themselves on this show. Maybe next week, notsamwrestling at gmail.com is the place to uh, send us an email. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week or earlier than that on Patreon. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.